Welcome to Get Behind Fanny, a podcast dedicated to the behind-the-scenes stories of the music, the members, and the musicians influenced by the rock group Fanny, the godmothers of women who rock. Hey, everybody. I'm Alice DeBure, Fanny's drummer. And I have to say that after 50 years, I am thrilled to be able to co-produce and co-host this podcast. And I'm Dr. Kristen Hilaire-Glasgow, historian by training. But for this context, I'm the daughter of Fanny's manager, Roy Silver. And after 50 years, I too get to co-produce <laughs> <laughs> and co-host the Get Behind Fanny podcast. And I'm Byron Wilkins, a Fanny fan since 1971, so it'll be 50 years this year for me. <laughs> and I'm also the webmaster over at FannyRocks.com. So hello, everybody. Is there a, it's the 50-year mark. I was going to say, it's a 50-year theme here, right? Maybe we should yeah. redo the whole thing and focus on 50 years. Talk uh, about fanny anniversary. Kind of depressing that it's a half century when you think about things. Like, holy crap. Jeez. Well, let, let's not put it like I that. I was going to say, go there. I really, thank, you, thank you, Kristen. <laughs> oh. So at the end of the last episode, we had mentioned that we have another mystery solved. We gave you that teaser, Ooh, yep. which I am super excited about. You but would we're going be. To pause. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. But we're going to pause on that and get to that later. Um, but what we're going to do on this episode is talk about Nowhere to Run, another mm. fanny cover of Motown, this time Martha Vandella and the <laughs> Martha Vandella. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Ooh. Hello, hey. Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Yep. <laughs> Good one. And we're also going to be discussing uh, another Fanny cover called It Takes a Lot of Good Lovin', which mm -hmm. we have discussed mm -hmm. on a previous episode. But this is a Stax cover. Judy Clay originally did it. So yep. we're going to be looking back, setting the stage of so Norma Goldstein Kemper. Mm -hmm. Richard Perry's secretary, yep. who had seen you and made the call to Richard that night and made the call to you, begging you not to leave. Right. <laughs> so now the studio, Wally Hyder studio is set up. Mm -hmm. Richard Perry is already there when you arrive. Mm -hmm. So Alice, I just want you to set up the whole stage. You're at the Tropicana. What time of day is it? Go. <laughs> well, it was, you know, typical L.A. glorious sunny weather so it could have been spring summer or fall <laughs> um we were uh loading the truck when the call came so we just the, the bus so we just uh you know headed over to wally hiders but i'm sure we would have started the day with breakfast at duke's and had you know one last great morning <laughs> breakfast you know so i think um it was probably around mid-afternoon by the time we got there and set everything up in that itty-bitty little studio. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of us who don't know what an itty-bitty studio looks like, or even a studio for that matter, Alice, can you describe it? Yeah, um, it's, it was a voiceover uh, studio at Walleye Hider. It wasn't their main big room studio and you walked in the door and to the left and maybe a step up was the soundboard mm -hmm. and you were facing two rooms that were uh glass uh so that whoever was doing the voiceover or whatever could see the soundboard the producer could see the artist whatever and they were really really tiny i mean when i say itty bitty i mean itty bitty <laughs> you know they were probably uh 
maybe 15 feet by uh, eight feet. I mean, my oh, drums wow. were, oh, wow. yeah, my drums were wall to wall. It wow. took, took up the whole thing, wow. you know? Wow. So, you know, uh, that's how small it was, you know, but we weren't miked, you know, as you would be for um, sure. a real session, you know? And so when you arrived there, was Richard already there or did he come after you? He was there. He was there. He was so there. he was already yeah. setting up. And when he you was working on something, you know. Oh, okay. Got yeah. it. Okay. And so you talked about the mics. Were they hanging above you or on stands? Oh, they were mic stands. And they were mic'd in they were wired into the soundboard so that he could hear the vocals clearly, you know, oh. instead of just feeding through the sound in that room. Because I mean we're playing rock and roll in that tiny room. <laughs> and yeah. he may have even opened the door so that he could hear the music, but he could adjust mm. the levels of the vocals on the soundboard. Okay. to whatever mix he wanted to hear, you know. So you say soundboard, does that mean there w wasn't a sound booth? No, uh-uh. There was no sound booth. You know, it was it was an overdub studio. The mm. sound booth uh if the, you know, if there had been a sound booth, that would have been a whole extra room that wasn't needed, you know, but the board faced those two little overdub studios. Okay. You know, and in front there might have been a couch or a chair. You know, that, and that's where we talked after we played. Mm -hmm. We didn't have room for our PA, obviously. So that's why the mics were wired in and Richard could do the mix the way he wanted to hear it. Wow. Okay. So that's amazing. You're there. Mm -hmm. Richard has set you up in your little tiny room. And, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so what happens next? And also, do you remember what songs you played? I mean, you had 15 minutes for a set list. Do you remember any of the songs? Well, I remember the only song that I really remember real clearly playing um, for Richard was Nowhere to Run. Mm. And I remember that we were probably somewhat nervous, but I would think that excitement was probably the stronger emotion. Oh, you're not good for me. You're not good. 
Yeah. How can yeah, yeah. you go wrong with a Motown tune by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas? I mean, that yep. is hot. Oh, yeah. And of course, yep. Fanny yeah. doing it like nobody else. So, yeah. Alice, I have two questions that come to mind. First of yep. all, do you remember seeing Richard hear you for the first time? And then yes. my other, well, I guess it's not a question. My other comment <laughs> is June's rhythm guitar on this is really hot. And you know what it reminds me of? What? What Elvis Costello would do later. Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah, yeah. sound, okay. the rhythm okay. to it, it's just yeah. fantastic. But Richard, I mean, do you remember that, Alice? Yeah, answering your first question, yeah, he was floored. <laughs> um, a big <laughs> smile broke out on his face, yeah. which helped calm any nerves that we might have had. But when you talk about June's rhythm guitar, mm-hmm. I have an interesting, uh, well, it's a story. There was a rhythm section in Wild Honey, and it was June, Gene, and Alice. And that was as tight a rhythm section as Gene and I became in Fanny when June started playing lead. Hmm. It was June plays the best rhythm guitar. I mean, yeah. yeah. He really does. And, just, and yeah. that's because yeah. Addie at the time in Wild Honey was playing lead guitar. Right, exactly. And the tone on our guitar is exceptional, oh, yeah. too. Love yeah. that tone. I agree. Yeah. Again, very, yeah. you know, Elvis Costello-ish. Again, yeah. ahead of her time. <laughs> yes. um, but I want to clarify that this particular recording of Nowhere to Run that we're listening to was recorded with Nikki. Yes. Mm. And at this point, it was not Addie Lee, right? right. And so... I just want to talk a little bit more about Richard hearing Nowhere to Run for the first time. And I loved what June and Jean had to say about the song and Richard hearing it. We had to have chosen it because we've been doing it since high school. I mean, that's one of the songs that we played with Jean's boyfriend's band in which she played bass. They played surf songs and they played like bowling alleys, etc. And I remember specifically four girls with four acoustic guitars singing Nowhere to Run at bowling alleys <laughs> with this band. And we, <laughs> yeah, we totally ripped it. We totally ripped it. You can't go wrong with nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, nowhere to, you know, even with just four acoustic guitars, it's so funky. And they told basically the funk rhythm and blues story in that song. It's all in there. So we understood that song. We totally understood it because it was one of the first songs we learned as a band. We were so, so in love with it. Wait, Gene, it's not love that I was it running from. Uh, it's a heartbreak. I know will come. I know you're no good. For, and here comes the backup. Yes, you're no good. And then you get to the drone. And I guess I take every step I see. Every step I take, you take with me. Yeah. Nowhere to run. I mean, come on. I mean, it just, just is relentless. It's relentless. It never stops taking you on that emotional journey. And that's the one you want to take. That is the emotional journey you want to take because everyone's gone through that feeling. And it's so great to have a song that you could just like, you know, chomp on. And there it is. You, you can sing that song. What is it? Three notes in the melody? You know, everyone can sing it.
<laughs> Man, that is some serious call and response that Jeannie's doing on those vocals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is just incredible. It's such a hot song. Oh, yeah. It is a hot song. And Nikki's organ really adds to that. Yep. I mean, June's rhythm guitar is the centerpiece of the song, but those simple chords on the organ really drive the song home. Yeah, it really sweetens it up. It really does, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. it really was an easy song to play. Um, I played it in my uh, trio when I was in high school. Addie, I'm sure, played it in the California Girls. Motown was happening, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the crowds loved the song. But, you know, Gene's mm-hmm. vocals on this, yeah. they kick yeah. ass. They, really oh, yeah. they are so solid and so emotional. I mean, you can mm-hmm. really hear the, I got nowhere to run. And she, yeah. it's delivering that message, you know. Yeah. I but agree. I have to say... <laughs> I do have to say, as I listen to this, I go back, you know, from second grade through high school in school band, <laughs> and I can hear that. But it um, but it um, but it um, bum bum, boom choo boom choo ba da ba. That sounds like a drum cadence. It, it, it's like, oh my god! Uh, high school marching band, man. Yeah, yes, exactly. The Fanny marching yeah. band. I love it. Oh, yeah. So I, I love that, Alice. You're saying that all of you, even in your separate bands, were playing this song or playing Motown. Yeah. Right. And so that got me thinking about another myth I'd like to dispel about Richard Perry and that he somehow was out seeking the first all female rock and roll band as if that was a unicorn that he was seeking, you know, (laughs) it really wasn't as uncommon as we thought. And just to give a little bit of background, Richard worked with Goldie Zelkowitz. Um, not only were they together as a couple in college and a little bit after, but they'd had a doo-wop band together. They too did oh. Nowhere to Run. And then Goldie Zelkowitz became uh, in a female band, not became, she became Goldie and the Gingerbreads. Right. Okay. And then Richard ended up working with Ella Fitzgerald and Barbara Streisand and Carly Simon. Yeah. And so yep. he he really admired strong women. He also yeah, he really did. admired talented musicians and i loved that that's how richard referred to you he never said female band he said i got to work with talented musicians so gender was not a factor for richard yeah and i wish that ginger fact gender was not a factor for other people too you know because it's it's often bugged me that we're called an all-female band and Mm. it also bugs me that i've so often heard that richard signed us as a novelty Yeah, and so not even close on that one. I mean, Richard, first of all, admired, almost idolized Tiny Tim early on and wanted Mm -hmm. to work with him early on. And then my father came on board and was Tiny Tim's manager. So Richard and my Mm -hmm. dad worked with him. And the last thing either one of them thought about Tiny Tim was that he was a novelty. They took his talent very seriously. And they also, I know, saw Fanny very seriously. Yeah. Right. I mean, so there that is absolutely we can dispel that one. No, he did not see you as a novelty act. Right. And so, right. I mean, obviously that can be seen in the fact that Richard gave you 15 minutes at Wally Hyder's. Right. And yet that turned into a couple of hours, which if you were a novelty oh, yeah. act, he would not have given you. <laughs> right. And so yeah. do you remember the moment when he said, I want to sign you? Well, you know, we had a couple of hours of conversation. And I think that Richard at the time was kind of, you know, exploring who we were as people, how serious we were or might have been as musicians. So he was getting that feel. And by the end of the conversation, he said, well, I want to sign you to the label, Reprise, 
and nice. I'm going to go get you that contract, you know. And we were still Wild Honey, and that's when we started working on the first album. covered this song previously. It takes a lot of good loving. And unlike Nowhere to Run, which was Motown, this was a song on Stax. And it was originally done by Judy Clay and interestingly enough was co-written by Booker T of Booker T and the MGs. And we had talked a little bit on the last episode that we would talk about Motown and Stax and the difference. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. in in a brief nutshell, they were both founded around the same time, the late 1950s, early 1960s. Motown was in Detroit, and it was Barry Gordy Jr.'s vision to present African-American musicians and artists to a large white audience. He wanted to cross Mm. over the genre, whereas Stax Records was integrated from the get-go, whether from the owners to the producers to the artists that were signed, the musicians. And that was much more of a out-and-out Southern blues R&B feeling for a mixed mm. audience. Right. And you can really hear it in when you listen to original versions of, let's say, the Supreme singing, you know, Back mm. in My Arms Again versus Judy Clay singing A Lot of Good Lovin'. If you want to yes, look at yeah. one is very kind of demure and sweet, whereas Stax was just sexier and grittier. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and But I have to say, in the case of Fanny doing both of these songs, yet again, I've said this before, but Fanny made it, you guys made it your own. You owned it, both of them. Well, as I've said before also, Kristen, um, you know, not only did we play Nowhere to Run in The Women, we played uh, A Lot of Good Lovin'. It, mm-hmm. was, it was just, those were the kinds of songs that you were playing. They were popular. The fans liked them. You know, people got up and moved on it. Mm-hmm. So I already yeah. knew this song when I joined up with June and Jean in the Svelts. But that's another myth to dispel with Fanny, Mm because it's important to remember that Addie and I each had our own female bands before the Svelts and Wild Honey, before we played in the Svelts and became Wild Honey. Mm -hmm. I should correct that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in terms of Richard having signed you, yes, he signed you as Wild Honey. But soon thereafter, the band was named to Fanny. And we've talked about where the name came from before. And Alice, you recently heard from Richard's former wife, Linda Perry, who I remember so fondly. Um, And she reminded you of where the name Fanny came from. So tell us. Yeah, well, Kristen, um, we were at we were at Crystal Recording Studio, 
and it was on the corner of Vine and Santa Monica Boulevard. I remember uh, Richard being in the sound booth and we were trying to find a name that we all liked. And Richard said, well, my grandmother's name is Fanny. What about Fanny? (laughs) You know? And so we changed the name to Fanny. Once again, mm-hmm. Nikki's organ really sweetens up this song, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting that uh, it takes the uh, Stax and the Motown songs and she just drives it along there. And you really don't, it, it's there, but you don't really notice it. But without it, it'd just be blank. Yeah, you know? it would be, it would be really tired. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So now we know that uh, Fanny was named because it was Richard's grandmother's name. That's <laughs> yeah. one mystery solved. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We still have a mystery up our sleeves that we're going to get uh-huh. to in a little bit. So <laughs> hang tight. Film at 11, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I have loved this song since I was a kid. It's never wavered. Yes. You can really hear not only the strength of Gene's vocals, as we talked about, but also the backup vocals on this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. June has often talked about how Richard was the one who taught you how to sing in a recording studio, where to stand at the mic, how close, how far. Yeah. Alice, you had mentioned how Richard taught you to sing your words full voice yeah. around the studio at the time or around the exactly. mic, a la yeah. the Beatles. Right. And Byron, you had asked mm-hmm. um, who would dis- who would sing the lead vocals and why, mm-hmm. right? So I learned something very interesting from Gene and June on the interview. Let's listen. I'm pretty sure it was whatever we ended up doing live. You no, know, it takes a lot of good. I'm not talking about the song yet, but on it takes a lot of good love. And mm-hmm. I sang the first verse. June sang second verse. It's probably what? Just, I did. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> just what happened in in you know in the live when we were performing. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't okay, even know. Okay, I guess I'll have to go listen to that again and be impressed by my own bad self. <laughs> <laughs> How Indeed. could you forget such impressive vocals, June? Seriously, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you can really pick out that it's June's voice on the second verse. You know, oh, yeah, and. The being a stack song instead of a Motown tune, the vocals are so much more gritty, mm-hmm. a la stacks, you mm-hmm. know. But the the playing, I mean, that's just straight ahead rock and roll. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And and it's uh, Nikki's approach to songs, you know, whether it's Motown stacks or her own stuff, was to to make them rock and roll, and mm-hmm. and that really you can kind of hear that in these songs. Yeah. Yeah. You certainly can. And um, Jim Seagrave, who was our main roadie our head roadie 
um, mm -hmm. also married to Nikki. But he said that Nikki always thought that Motown was vanilla. And she yeah. even, she would play stacks, but even that was not rock and roll enough for her. So she would, mm. you know, she'd make it rock. So I agree with mm. you, Byron, you know. Yeah. But it's interesting to me to hear how June's sees the difference between Motown songs and stack songs. So uh, let's listen. You know, every song that we covered, I think, uh, Kristen, you made mention on the last uh, episode that we made them into our own. And, and I believe that's really true. And part of how we made them our own was that we were so in love with them, number one. And number two, we just cycled through it, you know, over and over again and played it live and discovered kind of our own thing. Like, take uh, Back in My Arms Again is definitely a hybrid. That's our thing, you know. It takes a lot of good love, and I think we pretty much stuck to the Judy Clay version, which is amazing. Well, the Judy Clay yeah. version is amazing, yeah. but so is Fanny's version. But I slightly disagree with June in the sense of not giving all of you enough credit. Um, I don't. I think Back in My Arms Again is absolutely a Fanny original. I don't even see it as a hybrid, except that it's a cover. And in terms of it takes a lot of good loving, I mean, Fanny just rocks on this very differently than in the way Judy Clay did. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I well, think, again, they're both great. Yeah. Well, I know that in my high school band, um, we weren't experienced enough to rearrange the song. Hmm. You know, we would have followed that Judy Clay arrangement pretty much note for note. But by the time Fanny was doing that song, we had our chops together, mm -hmm. so we did rearrange it so that it was a Fanny song. And that's the whole point. If you're going to do a cover, rearrange it so that you own that sucker.
This time, Jean is the one pulling her own James Brown with that ha. (laughs) She certainly did. And I have to say, good for Richard Perry for not overproducing this song. Because when I listened to it, this is what Fanny sounded like live. And this, I mean, this could have been a live track. Well, it's pretty close to live. I agree with you. He didn't overproduce this one. There are certainly no mariachi horns in it. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, send your letters to anyway. Yes. (laughs) I do appreciate the fact uh, that he, that this does sound like he he recorded it live and there's very few overdubs Mm -hmm. and all that. And it does add to the energy and the power to it and all that. It really does. So anyway, Hey, but you know, you two have uh, teasing us about a mystery song. (laughs) And so maybe it's that time a little here and there and, <laughs> and please don't tell me it's it's about Richard's grandmother again. So. <laughs> yeah, that we're done with that one. We're done right. with that. It, that one's pretty clear now. Okay, yeah. so here is the mystery solved, at least for this episode. Yes, many of you may know that I love a certain Fanny photograph, the no parking <laughs> photograph taken <laughs> by Linda Wolf. You know. I know. Isn't that just so surprising? Yeah, you must to hear. be dead. I- you must be dead if you don't know. <laughs> And I always preface it with it's the four members of Fanny and Nikki's Sheltie. Yep. And, you you know, I was thinking about it. I should have dubbed Nikki Sheltie the unnamed male Sheltie. (laughs) We couldn't give him proper credit. So, Alice, why don't you tell us about the unnamed male Sheltie? Well, and I will do that. (laughs) Um, Seagrave told me, well, why don't we let him tell us? Nikki had one dog, a Sheltie named Jamie. As far as I know, I don't think he was actually pedigreed, but he was definitely purebred. She came out to uh, Los Angeles to look for getting into the music business. She uh, was visiting a friend of mine who was, uh, we were undergraduates at Caltech at the time. That's when I first met her. And the dog stayed behind until she had a place to stay. And then she had the dog uh, sent out. She was very, very attached to the dog. So the dog's name is James and affectionately called Jamie. So yep. mystery solved. Uh, I have to say that's go. my favorite mystery solved so far. <laughs> Boy, you're a loyal Fanny fan. Right? <laughs> Switch to the dogs, Kristen. Yeah, I, I kind of would. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, yeah, you would. <laughs> and since I am such an animal lover, you have to know that I have, I'm not kidding. I've had a post-it note that I've carried around for the last year since we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> no. That has, you know, I put on there, find out the name of Nikki Sheltie. You know, it's been (laughs) rough. (laughs) I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Throw me a bone, Byron. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Got it. Here's business. (laughs) Exactly. Well, but I'm very happy. I can throw the post-it note away. And every time I look at the picture now, talk to Jamie. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, James was such a well-behaved dog. He was a great dog. You know, and Jim told me that he didn't have papers, you know, but he was still purebred, you know. He was sweet. He didn't drool. He didn't pee on you, you know. (laughs) Unlike Richard's English sheepdog, Desmond, who took it upon himself to relieve his bowels on the pillow in my bass drum, (gasps) which Richard Richard didn't even clean it up. You know, I had to. Oh, come on. That's so unfair. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. It really was. It was stinky, stinky, stinky. I bet. 
that bass drum shitting story. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to have this little segment, this bass drum shitting story. Shitting story. Yeah. Was also, that was the verification that Nikki used to confirm to me that it really was her when mm-hmm. I reached out to her in 2002 uh, for the release of the first time in a long time box set because I wanted to give her part of my space for thank mm-hmm. yous because she had not been included. Hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that if she did want to thank anybody, she had a place to do it, you know? So the shitting cool. story yes. is a bit like code <laughs> for, I was really a fanny member. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, needless to say, I'm to the moon excited to know the name of James, Jamie. I do remember Desmond. I don't remember James very well. I kind of do. I do remember Desmond though, but I don't remember him being gross or stinky. Oh God, the <laughs> rear end of that furry beast walking away from you is a picture that you can't get out of your eyes, man. You know, oh, that was awful. It was just awful. So I'm going to change the subject now since that's so gross. Kristen. Yes. What do you have on the subject, this? please. What do you have on the stove for the next episode, honey? Well, we're going to be talking about Nikki and her early days in the band. Mm-hmm. We'll also be listening to cool. and discussing two of her songs, A Person Like You and Changing Horses. Changing yep. Horses oh, we've yeah. spoken about before, but we're going to look at it in, from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. But for now, here's a little taste of A Person Like You. You ain't the kind of friend I'd like to take home to my mother. She wouldn't understand. Someone I could love like a brother And me, I must admit You are not like any other I have never known a person like you Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll be looking to see if we have some more mysteries that we can solve to go along with those songs. Um, Yeah, we might. We might. I've been digging deep in the files, man. I found some (laughs) great stuff over the last couple of weeks. But Byron. I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Byron, why don't you give us the social media? Sure. Fanny is all over the internet. On Twitter, find us at uh, Fanny, oops, at rocks underscore Fanny. On Instagram, at Fanny Rocks underscore 1970. Over on Facebook as Fanny Rock Band. And on YouTube, just as Fanny Rocks. And of course, drop by the official Fanny website at FannyRocks.com and continue to use the hashtags Ask Alice, June Jams, Jean Genie, Nikki Notes to ask questions or comment about the podcast. Yes, please continue to write in your comments and questions about the podcast or anything having to do with Fanny. We love hearing from you. Also, Mm -hmm. we have one more podcast in the month of April. Mm -hmm. We have a couple birthdays to celebrate in our birthday bakery, but let us know. We also have a couple of fanny versaries in April, but let us cool. know. So for cool. now, though, Byron, mm-hmm. Alice, yes. Jamie, that's a wrap. <laughs> Hit it. <laughs> <laughs> Down, girl. Down. <laughs> for, for a millisecond, I'm like, where the hell's a dog? <laughs> that was very good. I'm like, what? <laughs> Down. Sit. Stay. That's great. All of that. <laughs>
like that. Don't poop in my bass drum. Yeah. <laughs> Clean uh, up an aisle three. Jeez. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, Richard. Anyway. 